This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Reporting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, this is your weekly nerd news recap with your two-headed reporter, Joel and Matt. Welcome to your THN Nerd News Recap for the week of June 26th through July 2nd. I am your head number one. My name is Matt Baum. Happy 4th of July weekend, y'all. Let's play it safe. All right? This is the last weekend that somebody will wake up with all ten of their fingers. It's true. <laughs> I'm your head number two. You may know me as the Internet's Joe Patrick, and I don't mess with fireworks, kids, because I got a small dog and she nervous. We begin this week with big Superman news. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. Ladies and gentlemen, we got a Superman! After what sounds like the finale of a reality show about casting a movie with your host, James Gunn, searching for the perfect couple, the DCU has a Superman and Lois. David Corinsweat and Rachel Brosnahan are your super-powered couple for the upcoming Superman Legacy, hitting theaters in July 2025. Joe Patrick, what do we think of our new Clark and Lois? Of the three that uh, the three couples that were quote unquote in the final running, uh, these were my picks. Rachel Brosnahan is a tremendous actress, and I think that she's got the wit and the personality to do a great Lois Lane. Definitely. No shade on the no shade on the other two who I didn't really know, um, but she's she felt the most like Lois to me. She's also and- the most like known you know, commodity of all of that these wasn't really as well. important. I, I, I think that I think it is I think, a little bit. If you're going to cast a relative unknown as Superman, I think you got to have somebody. Oh, well, that's fair. That's yeah, like yeah, your yeah. household it, name, you know, that everybody loves. And well, but May- that could have been like the villain, right? That could be could like be Lex. Lex could be somebody super famous. Which, sure. You know, we'll get into Nicholas Holt is he seems to be rumored to be in the running for like every major superhero role. They're trying to make him a thing big time. I never put much stock in that and he's great and everything, but he's not Superman. No. Yeah. Um, I just don't. Then the, the third guy, you know, like he was square jawed and whatever, but he didn't look like Superman to me either. This Corin sweat, this guy looks like Henry Cavill. Tom Brittany is who you're talking about. Yeah. Like Nicholas Holt's been in a lot of stuff. Well-known guy, great actor. I, I agree. I, now maybe he could pull it off because he is an exceptional actor, but oh, yeah, I just, yeah. Like, he doesn't I, have again, that like, look, you know, I, right now, all I'm going off with the exception of Brosnahan and Holt, all I've got to go on is look, Holt is a great actor, but it would have been kind of like casting, like when they cast Brendan Routh as Superman and it was like, well, he's good and everything, but I don't know, man. Yeah. And to be fair, it it sounds so ridiculous when we say like, well, does he have the look? But we have a history of people playing Superman that all had the look basically. So you did this to us guys. You know, I, I understand it's, it's 2023 and we live in an age where like you can cast a character in a way that's different than the norm. Of course. But I, but like for me as a lifelong Superman fan, it's important to me that the character looks the part, right? Or that the actor looks the part 
that's half the battle. I watched uh, the politician case. My, my wife, Casey, she's a big Ryan Murphy fan. So we watch all the Ryan Murphy shows. He's very good in the politician. He's not the main role. The main role is the Broadway kid, Ben, whatever his name, but he was like the secondary role and he's very good. I hate in that it. kid. He's also very young. This is going to be a very young Superman from what you could tell just coming up. I mean, which they've said this is about him growing up, you know, and learning to be human and whatnot. Well, it's not, it's not about him becoming Superman. It's about him learning to balance the right, two right. sides of his life. Yeah. I don't think and, we're going to see uh, the whole baby crashes to earth and all that again. I, I mean, we might, we might, which I is suppose. whatever they got. I, I, I don't know. I, I know that people are tired of origin stories and I get that, but I feel like, we kinda, need to get kind of have to a little something, right? If we're talking about a brand new vision of the DC universe, we kind of need to see what crypto is like. Kind of have to, to start somewhere like that. So Gunn can say, no, this is not the old movies that are flopping really bad that we'll talk about in a minute, <laughs> but they could, but they could also go the Grant Morrison all-star Superman route, which is what this movie is very heavily rumored to be. Yeah. Uh, inspired by and the origin of Superman is told in four panels at the beginning of all-star Superman. Sure. One. And yeah. you could just do a very quick, like montage of scenes and then it's straight into the action. Yeah, look so into we'll the spider verse had like 17 different Spider-Man give their origin in less than 10 oh, and seconds. And those are great. Yeah. And they're yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you know, like we yeah. get it, you know? So there's a, you know, there's a way to, there's a way to do a superhero origin without, you know, the slow motion pearls dropping to the floor of the alley kind of thing. <laughs> like we're so sick. Sure. Of. Sure. Sure. Regardless, this guy looks like Superman. Yeah. I, I know that he's in this Ryan Murphy thing, but everybody, uh, I know that a lot of people are talking about his role in, um, in the movie Pearl, Ty West's Pearl. He was great um, in it. He was great. Which is an A24, A24 horror movie. Every A24 horror movie will ruin your life. It's just every movie they oh, they're put great. out. They put out excellent films. Uh, I love it. They are great. They are great, but all of their horror movies are very upsetting. Oh yeah. How do we feel if Nicholas Holt, who was rumored to get the Lex role, is your bad guy? How do you feel about that? Nah, I'd uh, rather it be somebody different. Kind of with you there. The, one uh, of the rumors, again, nothing, I, nothing against Nicholas Holt. No, he's great. And I think the current rumor where it's, uh, it might be one of the scars, scars, guard brothers. Uh, don't, uh, don't give me the clown. I, the kid that plays Pennywise, whatever. He's don't a very good like character actor. I don't need him as that. Oh, no, no. I think Alex Skarsgård. Alexander Skarsgård. All they got to do uh, from the Norseman, right? Or take his bro character from Succession and just dial down the bro a little bit, and you have got Lex Luthor. Shave his Shave head. Shave that dude. There Shave it is. his head. It's yeah. I Charismatic. Mean, he, I would be you know, like business disruptor out yeah. there. Like he's like Elon Musk, but he's a super villain. <laughs> you know, it's perfect. Yeah, and I don't even like. I don't. I you know I don't even really need him. This is just the traditionalist in me, but I don't really even need him to be like this modern kind of Musk kind of stand in. I want him to be a, a business and just an evil business magnate. I don't think you're going to be able the, to resist that, Joe. So I get, I know, gonna be I get there. it, but <laughs> I don't. I don't need my Lex Luthor like tweeting support of. Uh, <laughs> of turfs you know no i don't think they go that far i think this lex will actually be uh, intelligent unlike the moron that is (laughs) right yeah our lex luther if you will (laughs) uh yes yeah you know what and if his public persona is that kind of doofusy dude that's one thing but i need him to be i need you know that you remember that um you remember that sketch on saturday night live from the 90s with phil hartman where it's uh are the late 80s where he's ronald reagan 
and the Girl Scout troop comes to the <laughs> visit the Oval Office, and he's like, "Well, Susie, it's so nice to meet you. Have a jelly bean." And then she leaves, and then he's like, "All right, back to business." And he puts a cigarette in his mouth. It's like we're gonna bomb this place and this guy. No, I love it. I think I like kind of the Lex Luthor like sort of Batman persona, where in public he's sort of like, "I'm just like you, a playboy idiot with lots of money throwing stuff." And then behind the scenes, he is a business genius that wants to take down Superman. You know? Yeah, 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 for sure. So yeah, I mean, long story short, I'm very um, heartened by this Superman casting. It seems like it seems like it's going to be great. I we trust James Gunn. I mean, like, look what he's done with everything he's touched so far. I think this is good news. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. In other DCEU news, there's been some intense finger pointing over Flashpoint's box office flop. But one thing is certain: Matt won the nerd bet that it would not beat Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantumania's opening weekend. Which you know what? I've never been so happy to lose a nerd bet <laughs> in our entire history. To be fair, I had no idea it would be this bad. I, I thought mean, nobody, nobody. I did. thought it might be close, but I would squeak by. <laughs> yeah, the Flash only pulled in fifty-five point one million dollars on its opening weekend. That is its entire opening weekend, including early screenings on Thursday. Yep. Which is a little bit more than half of Ant-Man 3's $104 million, which was also not great. <laughs> to put it in perspective, Black Adam pulled in $67.8 million and was considered a colossal flop. Things are not looking good for the remainder of the DCEU's lame duck lineup with Blue Beetle and Aquaman 2 still to come before James Gunn's new DCU launches. Uh, it is not helped by the fact that James Gunn has said that Blue Beetle is the first character in the DCU, but Superman is the first movie in the DCU. I wonder if what they're the walking does that, that mean? I wonder if they're very quietly walking that back. <laughs> I don't think so, man. I don't we'll know. I, I, if Blue Beetle opens to 14 million, uh, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, the movie's already made practically, so like they can say whatever they want about the character. The only thing we can count on at this point is not having to worry about seeing Miller's Flash, Batfleck, or Batmichael. Batmichael. Batmichael, <laughs> I guess. But Matt, what happened here? So you guys, we'll say you, your side, you were very optimistic for this movie. It seemed like it was going to make all the money in the world. It had not one, but two Batmans doing all the Batman stuff. That's going to sell everything, right? I was never sold on this. I thought the effects didn't look good. I thought they were working way too hard, WB this is, to tell us how great this movie is going to be. Calling it the best superhero movie of all time. You can't do that. That's that's literally like the coach of your team coming out and going, we're winning the Super Bowl this year before game one. You're going to look like such a buffoon and people are actively going to root against you. But do you really think that that's why the average moving going public did not come out to no, see this movie? No, I think that's only part of it. I think that's why the industry is hitting it so hard and laughing at it right now. That's, yeah. I think and, the moving going like, to public. Be, to, be, to be clear, my, my stance was that there is going to be a very large portion of the movie going audience. That's going to go see a superhero movie, no matter what, sure. which is why every Marvel movie does a billion dollars. Right. Eventually. And 
you know, like you're going to have families with kids that are like, let's go see the new Batman movie, but it's the flash, you know? Right. I thought that's where the flash was going to make all its money. I agree, but I, but it did not happen. I don't think that that same cachet is out there for the DC movies that they thought they had. And well, like, I think that maybe they've been burned. I don't, I think that they've the been Snyder burned a lot. Goes. It's been too long since Keaton's Batman as well. That is like ancient history. And, uh, and they didn't just do go for that. They went for George Reeves, Superman. They went for appearance. Like they well, grabbed I mean, everything. You knew we were going to get multiverse. You know, I you su- knew we were going to get that shit. I but. suppose, but I just, it turns out they do not have that same cachet. There's way more love out there for the guardians of the galaxy than there is for Snyder's justice league bullshit. And that's why and I guardians think that that's three what, was a success, a huge success. I, I think that's kind of where it all lies is that for as much as, as loud as the Snyder bros are, I think the majority of people are really sick of Snyder's vision of the DC. Absolutely. And I don't think they like those movies. Right. And the Snyder, like you said, they're loud. They're a minority. Otherwise the theaters would be packed and they were not right. The, the justice league movie that he made would have been a massive hit. It was not now. Well, like I think you've got onto a point where you said they've burned too many people because not only did they burn the Snyder bros who were the last cheerleaders that were cheering for them, they burned guys like you and me years and years and years ago. And we just gave up. And now there is an end in sight. There is an end in sight to this and new movies that are coming. Why would anyone who's paying attention care at all? And those who aren't paying attention, like you said, well, this isn't a Batman movie. This is a flash movie. And that, that kid flash is kind of a weirdo. And you know, like, wasn't he in the news? And so I'm not saying it's all Miller's fault. I think there were just too many strikes against this. I think the major, well, yes, yes. I think there are many strikes against it. And that is certainly one of them. But I do. I also think that the majority of the movie going public and I'm talking about your Joe six packs, right? You're, right. you're just you're, like your mom and pop. They don't pay attention they to the know. celebrity. Yeah. Like they, like they, they, they watch maybe reality television. Then they understand celebrity gossip. But I think the majority of the movie going public is not paying attention to the Ezra Miller con controversy. Oh, I agree. I and know, totally. uh, so I think that while that probably had an effect, certainly on people like us or people in the know, um, that, that chose that made a, a conscious choice not to see the movie because they did not want to support Ezra Miller. I think there's one key thing that's gotta be the reason why you did not get just like a default level of support at the theater for this. And I think it's because People are sick to death of this version. I think that's part of it. Of Let me DC ask you this. Of the DC universe. I don't buy that it's superhero fatigue because we just had a Spider-Man movie that made a shitload of money. I hate that phrase. We, I hate that phrase. Guardians of the I Galaxy think just nonsense. made a shitload of money. So we know it's not that. If you make good superhero movies, people will go see good superhero movies. I don't think this is a very good film. It didn't test real well. It doesn't have great reviews. And let me ask you this. Is this multiverse fatigue? Are people tired of gigantic interconnected multiverse you have to pay attention to? Do they just want to shut their head off and go see a Batman movie or go see a Flash movie? I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say. Like I am a decades long comic reader, so multiverse fatigue doesn't make any sense to me because. I'm so used to it and I, everything has a multiverse. I mean, but you're in the shit. You but, gotta, you gotta look outside. Right, right. You know? Yeah, right. It, it, but 
So to me, I, I think that saying something like superhero fatigue is like saying movie fatigue, right? I'm because, taking that out of it. I'm just talking about. But again, multiverse. I don't know. I because think it hurts. Like every, I really do think it hurts it a bit. I don't. I don't know if because I buy if that. You look, I don't know if I buy that. It, when you turn to the public and they go, "Why are there two Batman in it?" You know, like, uh, well, because there's several different dimensions of the DC universe and they're tying them all together. Like, I think a lot of people went, mm, don't care. Uh, just let me know when the next Batman movie comes up. That could be. I mean, that, that could be, <laughs> you know? it, that could be, I just, I don't know. I, um, there's this quote here from, um, an exhibitor relations analyst named Jeff Bach. He says, quote, when you have a film set in a multiverse, it's asking the audience to recall past films instead of shutting off their brain and enjoying what's in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, how many, how many movies do they like, how many properties get made into movies and TV shows that prey on nostalgia, right? Like how is that any different than like, remember this thing that you used to love when you were a kid? I think it's one thing you know, to prey I, on nostalgia, but I think it's another thing to say, not just, not just this nostalgia though, this nostalgia, this nostalgia, that nostalgia, part of this nostalgia, not this nostalgia, but that nostalgia. Maybe. Definitely. It, I think yeah, that's maybe. where it gets messy. It's one thing to say, let's get a bunch of old actors to reprise their roles and do a thing a la Picard. Great. If you liked, you know, the other stuff, you got one line of sight. You just be like, yep, loved him in that perfect but they didn't go what about all those other captain picards that existed in cartoon universes and younger sure. captain picard therein i think there is a mess there and you've got to thread that needle really carefully and i think the spider-verse movies have done that and they've done it with humor and while they may be attempting that with this flash i don't think ezra miller is enough to bring that sense of humor and fun across the spider-verse is also a very well reviewed sequel to a beloved yes an, uh, animated and, and that's film. my point you and made so it i don't think that the multiverse stuff in that is a, a factor really no i don't think so either because they made they did it so well that it's just part of the story it's not the main focus of the film the main focus of the film is miles is great i love him his family's super it's kinda, cute it's kind of the main focus of the film yeah but, but everybody's going to see this to see the funny spider-man do the funny right. stuff i i, I think nothing light-hearted the, or fun about the dc multiverse at all uh, <laughs> I, I, well the, i mean the flash movie's pretty light-hearted even though it deals with a lot of heavy stuff like with his mom but i think that if this was the flash 2 and people really loved the flash 1 Maybe I think yeah. we'd be having a different conversation could be, but because it's the flash two, or because it's a movie that's been in development for nearly a decade. Uh, like Brian Domingos points it out every week. Ezra Miller was cast as the flash eight years ago. Yeah. That is a lifetime in, in terms of like a superhero movie cycle. People have had many years to get tired of this actor. Yeah. He's only been in one, right? He's only been in justice league. That's it. And then, but he, he cameoed in the Flash TV show when they did Crisis on Infinite Earths. But uh, for the most part, he's been in one movie and he was kind of an unlikable dumbass. Yeah. Then he had a, in a terrible costume. And then he had a really bad media cycle after that. The film gets pushed right. back years and years and years. I mean, like, yeah, I, I don't think this was this ever had a chance of succeeding, even if it was the best superhero movie of all time. I don't think people go to see it because of everything that happened before. It's not just a flop. Like it's a very, very costly a $300 mistake. $300 million flop plus however much in marketing. And now they're pulling it from theaters so they can stream it and try and make money off it. Just like they did with black Adam in complete desperation. Now 
Black Adam did make its money back that way months and months and months later. Black Adam didn't cost $300 million. Black Adam did not cost $300 million to make. This is a black eye for them. But, and you know what? Fine. Toe tag it. Call it a day. We're done here. You don't, you don't worry about it. We're never going back. It's over. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the best thing for me is yeah. that I, I think the fear was for a lot of people, us included, is that if the flash had been a success, yes, we would have had to deal with a, some, any, like any kind of worry they're not going to let the DCEU totally die. Right. They're going to keep Ezra Miller around, whatever, whatever, whatever. But now we can point at it and go, look, it's over. Now we might get uh, direct-to-digital releases of Aquaman 2. Who knows? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's like spoiler for The Flash, but we know that Aquaman 2 doesn't, like it's a different universe now. Basically, so yeah. Aquaman 2 th- takes place where it takes place and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. So. I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I, I hate to say that I'm glad that it failed, but I'm if I'm glad that it wasn't so successful that now we have to keep talking. About right. It. If this is what it takes to shoot it in the head. Fine. Done. I'm like, not gonna, I'd be happy if this were the last conversation you and I ever had. about. Absolutely. It. And I'm not celebrating it. This is not in your face, DC. I don't care. I'm just done. I'm exhausted and I'm done. Yeah. Like I'm not mad at Andy Machete. The guy did it his best. Joe Patrick across the Spider-Verse, as we just discussed, may have proved that multiversal movies can still make a ton of cash at the box office. But several artists have come forward to say not only was making the film extremely difficult, but it sometimes saw artists and animators working 12 hour, seven day weeks. And now they are saying there is no way Spider-Verse 3 makes it to theaters on time. Is this another example of America getting soft, Joe? Or is this just the price to be paid for making a groundbreaking animated film these days? America getting soft. What are you talking about? We're getting you soft, baby. Don't like, you ever watch Tucker Carlson? You know how you soft think it, we are? You think it should be like the Korean animation studio in that clerk's cartoon? Hey, you don't hear them complaining over there. Those Demon Slayer guys, they're working just as hard and they are not complaining. So a big thing in... The media these days, uh, especially in like video game development, is talking about something called the crunch, right? Which is um, when a studio just—I don't know if it's because of poor planning or last-minute changes or overreaching or whatever—but in order to get a product out on time, they are forcing, quote unquote, forcing their employees to work unreasonable hours. Yeah to get something done. And then even then, in a lot of cases, it's like unpolished, right? Like how many, how many times have you bought a triple a game for 60, 70 bucks, installed it on your Xbox or PlayStation. And then it's got a day one patch. That's like 30 sure. gigs. Big. Typically this is and not happening in movies though. Let's, let's movies. No, but I mean, it's still a big, it's very in vogue right now to discuss working conditions in Hollywood. It's here's the thing. It's one thing. If one person comes forward afterwards and says, the director was a racist or the director was a misogynist or, you know, the director was little Hitler yelling at more than 100 artists and animators quit during the making of this a hundred. Okay. now I, yes. And that is a big number. And that is certainly something that people are tossing around. But another thing to consider is that thousands of people were employed on this sure. movie and it took years to develop. So having a hundred people quit over the course of the movie is not necessarily the damning statistic that it feels like I suppose. now that is also a bullet point being talked about by management at Sony. Right. And you know, 
I'm not going to err on the side of the corporation. I'm not going to say, oh, well, yes, this corporation has very reasonable points. Yeah. So like, now here's the thing. Okay. Some people came out under pseudonyms and said, here's what was going on. They said Miller was it were basically, it was Lord's management styles, what they're saying. That Lord yeah. could not picture the finished 3D animation. So he wanted to edit fully animated finished scenes, which is not how you do this. Typically, these edits and revisions happen before the actual finished animation. I'm just going to play devil's advocate. I am not saying that it's the right opinion. But my question then when you say something like that is that this is not just a 3D movie. This isn't The Incredibles 3. Right. This is the Spider-Verse. Where, and we know like that movie is a breathtaking work of art. And I can understand how somebody can't quite imagine what it's going to look like. Oh, from I don't an unfinished. I don't disagree at all. And that, yeah. this is the larger question. I, 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 get I to. knowing that I understand that it's not normally, it's not the norm when it comes to making animated right. movies, but this is not the normal animated movie. There's it's not a normal animated 40 movie. different right. animation styles in this movie. Yeah. And again, all not, the not citing once? one way yeah. or the other. I'm just saying there's a lot of things to consider. And right. so, like, uh, if Lord is kind of a, a Luddite when it comes to the technology of 3D animation, he still has a vision as a filmmaker. And if he needs to see, like, if he's got a picture in his mind and he actually needs to see it executed to see if it can happen, then I kind of get okay, it. Okay, so that's sort but, of what the studio is saying. Like, look, yes, we agree. This was not typically how it's done. But look at the final product. This is not your typical movie. And they are more or less saying, yes. There was some stuff that went down. There were some people's feelings got hurt, but we were doing something completely different. And this is the price you pay if you want to do something this big and groundbreaking. You're going to have to work your ass off because no one's done it like this before. Yeah. And I'm not saying that makes it okay. And it sounds no, like, no. it sounds like Miller was kind of MIA allegedly and not even around for a lot of this. And it was sort of Lord's baby. And maybe he's getting a lot and, of that and, blame and because of it, but we don't know. And if I don't that's really, true. I don't really know enough to put much stock in anything about that. Like, yeah. we also don't know how Lord and Miller work as a partnership. True. So, you know, one might, one might be a visual guy. One might be a script guy. So like, who knows? Who's to say? The only but, thing we do know is they have more hits under their belts than misses. I mean, they got fired from Solo for creative differences. Who knows what that was about? Still, we don't know. Now, mm-hmm. we do know this movie was supposed to hit in April 2022. They blame yeah. the pandemic for not coming out then. It was postponed to October 2022. And then for no reason and no blame at all, they moved it to June 23rd of this year. Are they going to use the writer's strike to blame as the blame for pushing the third movie back. <laughs> well, uh, mm. I mean, and again, this goes back to look, when you get into trying to make something like this, maybe it's impossible to fit it into that schedule. Pixar movies take anywhere from four to seven years to make, you know, an elemental I, flop and no one is saying these same things about elemental. They're just saying it wasn't very good. Yeah. So I think that at this point, spider verse three has to be already written. It, it, like it has to be. I'm sure it's written. I don't think that's the issue. It's the well, animation. But they, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think if, if they come out and say, well, the writer's strike, so it's delayed. I think that's n- bullshit because it's, it's, already, bullshit. it's already written. Right. It's total but, bullshit. Uh, also, the Screen Actors Guild is also going to strike. Right. More than likely. And so I can understand if that is a factor. But um, like if, the, if this movie's not already in active development on the back end with like art and animation, then no. 
it, it'll never, it will never come out. It'll yeah. never make it that deadline. But uh, like, I basically, I think that in order for them to meet this deadline, like a, um, a an infinity war end game situation or a kill bill one and two situation, they needed to already be knee deep in development on Spider-Verse yeah. three before Spider-Verse two ever came out. Absolutely. I still think and it's I, late. I, and people are saying that that's not the case. I still think it's going to be late just because of the level of animation. And you are going to hear grumbling because people are getting pushed. This is, it, I'm, and I'm not defending anybody that had a bad, you know, anybody that had a bad time or bad behavior or anything like that, but it doesn't sound like it was so much behavior. It was more different in the sense of we're we need working, to edit this a different yeah, way the, and the level of work and yeah. it's going to involve way more work than you may have thought. Again, we, we can't say this enough. We are not defending the corporate side, uh, no. like uh, any shady behavior, but. I think that when you sign on to work on a project like a Spider-Verse movie or I don't know, like the next, uh, uh, the, 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 the legend of Zelda game that's, that's broken every video game rule that's ever existed. Right. right. Like you could do things in that game that are like, should be impossible. Right. If you sign on to work on a project like that, I think that a, the studio needs to be upfront about it right away. Sure. I think they need to be like, look, man, we don't know what's going to, we don't know what things are going to look like because we're trying very new, very new things. Right. Right. You can expect that your schedule will change, uh, that the hours will be nuts. Yeah. I think they need to be upfront and transparent about what it's going to take to get that made. Definitely. I think they need to be fairly compensating all of their, let uh, me hit employees. on that real quick. Let me hit on that real quick because you don't hear any of these people saying I wasn't fairly paid or yeah. it was a hostile workplace or, you know, anything. They're just saying this was non-traditional and we had to work way friggin' harder than we thought we were going to. That seems yeah. to be the major complaint. I, I, I think, yeah, I just, I think that for anything like this, that's going to require extremely long hours or unknown, you know, unknown variables or whatever. I think that the studio needs to say, this is the deal. We're making something groundbreaking or we're, we're, we're swinging for the fences. You can expect uh, some pretty heavy duty working conditions. And I, and I think that they need to compensate everybody involved accordingly. Sure. And um, that needs to happen before a single hour of work is done. Yeah. A, that's a B. I think that anybody that is lucky and well, I think that anybody that has the guts <laughs> to sign on to work on a project like this, you need to know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. I think that if you saw, if you signed on to make a spider verse movie, you need to be prepared. Sure. Like they, especially now that there's been two of them, there was one under their belt already. So right. You knew what you were getting into and this was going to be even more. Guess what? Three is going to be even more. So yeah. Like if you, hold on like to your if butts, you, people, <laughs> if, if, if you're a 3d render artist and you're like, yeah, I'm going to, I got a job working on the new Skyrim or whatever, the, 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 the Skyrim killer, <laughs> the next, uh, then like, yeah, yeah. Guess what? That's a game that never ends. That game literally never ends. Prepare for a lot of shit. Yeah. And so I, I think, uh, I think it all, I think the bulk of it is on the corporation. That's on, it's on the studio that they need to say, look, we don't know what's going to happen, but you can bet it's going to be difficult. Sure. And lengthy. And we value you. 
And that's the bottom line. I'm curious to see what happens with this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, because again, it looks like absolutely groundbreaking, amazing animation. Yeah, I mean, it looks like let's Into see, the Turtleverse. Let's see what so. they say in the wake of this. Yeah. Yep. Moving on to comics news, if you're a Valiant fan, you may have noticed the company's output has trickled down to maybe one book a month for more than a year now. But fear not, this week Valiant announced the quote-unquote birth of a new Valiant era and a new sugar daddy that's taking over their comic book publishing. Everyone's favorite well-known powerhouse publisher, Alien Books. (laughs) If you've never heard of them, don't worry, no one has. The good news is it sounds like a good chunk of the Valiant staff is staying on board, but who the hell is Alien Books? Here's what we know. Alien Books is run by director Matthias Tamarchi and claims a 25-year publishing history. How is, it builds its, how is that possible? They've been around 25 years. We've never heard of them. <laughs> really? Yeah. We're connected guys, Joe. Okay. Well, maybe, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It builds itself as a quote unquote cutting edge New York based comic book publisher with a lineup of foreign licenses and recent books by Howard Chicken and more. It also has a bumper bumper video. Oh, like a bumper video. It all, there's also a bumper video and a three page website. <laughs> yeah. Impressive stuff. <laughs> so basically what we do know is Valiant is in some trouble. They've had a rocky couple of years and they are more or less outsourcing their publishing at this time. And this is a type of deal that has been kicked around. Like this was sort of kicked around with the IDW stuff for a minute when they got in financial trouble. Word is Dark Horse had similar conversations about outsourcing their publishing as well, but nobody actually did it for fear of losing control of the publishing rights. So we don't know anything about this alien books other than they put out an Olivetti art book and this Howard Chicken book and some smaller comics, like sort of indie stuff that I've never seen even on like new comic book release lists and stuff. I've never, I don't, I don't ever know, maybe recall. Maybe they do like graphic novels and stuff. I don't these know. Are, some of these are billed as three ninety nine monthly comic books. Well, the Valiant stuff, sure. No, no, no. I'm talking about the Alien book stuff on their website. Oh. Like, I've never seen the name Alien. Have you ever seen Alien books listed when we're looking at new release lists? I can't say no, I ever have. No, no, I haven't. I haven't. That's not to say they're not legit, but who are they? And this is Valiant who is literally just coming off of their third owner in the last, you know, in the history of their time back in 2007, this guy, Dinesh Shamdasani sort of brought them back, started publishing again. Comics were selling well, seemed like they were doing a good job. We liked a lot of the books. There was like Mm -hmm. very quality, you know, creators working for them. Slowly their production goes down and down. They get bought by a Chinese company, who's going to help them with TV and movies. We get a loser bloodshot movie that completely fails. All TV plans are scrapped. And then the next big thing they did was an NFT that came off as a scam. Basically like they got called out big time. Now this was because this was after the company changed hands in 2018. Right. Right. Uh, uh, This is the Chinese Chinese company, company, DMG entertainment. And And now they're being bought by another nameless well, we don't know that entity. they're being bought. We only know that they're doing the publishing. They're outsourcing their publishing. You're right. Which isn't the same thing as the company being purchased by like 
Yes, it's kind of odd that we've never heard of them, but the idea of Valiant outsourcing their publishing, I don't think it's quite as dramatic as it seems. Because I, I think, you know. It's weird, though. No one's ever done it. No one has ever done this. Well, I think we're assuming that things will change. I don't think it's going to get rebranded. I think things are still going to just be Valiant. It's, it's going, going to be, to be Valiant. Valiant. The money is the Valiant IPs, of course. Exo Manowar is continuing. The Ninjak book that they announced is happening now in the fall. So no, they're not changing that. The thing that worries me is this is a struggling company that came off a bad experience with this NFT bullshit, and now they've got a new unknown publisher that is saying things about forward-thinking publishing and new ways to publish, which sounds like, you know, microtransaction and video game bullshit to me. How many times are fans going to trust Valiant if it, if it makes another mistake? I like these characters. I want well, I mean, read. and of course, like, can you blame them? Right. Like if they found a, if they found a way to stay in business by partnering with this publisher, then sure. I can understand why they would do it. I suppose it's it, better than going away. I agree. Consider the origin of image comics. And I know that it's kind of a reverse, uh, you know, it happened in reverse with image, but when image comics hit the stands in 1992, they were technically published by Malibu. Right. Like the books were published. They were printed and just, and whatever by Malibu comics, which mm-hmm. was a, a big indie name at the time. It was still image comics, but it was done through another publisher. And I don't really see this as any different. Um, it is weird for a company that was already established to then have to do this. But yeah, like you've said, Valiant basically stopped putting out monthly books. Like we were maybe getting one issue a month. Yeah. And, and so I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I am okay with Valiant, you know, sticking around if they can make it work. Right now we are on the the third incarnation of Valiant Comics. The it was the original in the 90s started by Jim Shooter. Right. Then in the late 90s, um Valiant was bought by Acclaim, the video game publisher. Yeah. And they did um that era of Valiant where we got Exo Manowar relaunches and and uh, Quantum and Woody and uh, that, that's like Mark Wade was writing Exo Manowar and uh, you know Quantum and Woody of course is a, a cult favorite um, but it was very very different right and then Acclaim went under and then many many years later Dinesh restarted Valiant in 2007 with another kind of ground floor reboot I don't think we're getting a reboot I just think that they're they found a way to keep the comics. Going. I think so too. I think so too, because they don't have it. The problem's not the characters the problems, not the creators. Like the problem is just, they're having trouble publishing comics because of money. So yeah, look, I hope they stick around. It's just kind of mysterious. And that worries me a little bit because no one seems to know who this alien books is. Nobody does. They, they, it is kind of odd that they are a complete non-entity. Yeah. That, that has also somehow been around for 25 years. Uh-huh. So we'll see. It, I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful as well. Don't call it a Substack. Distillery, the latest digital comics publisher on the scene, announced its first eight titles this week. And don't go bother looking up Distillery because they don't spell it that way. It's D-S-T-L-R-Y barf. A few months back, Distillery announced the anthology book. Put, put that in the Google. Put that in the search bar when you type it. D S T L R Y. Add the barf. Yes, <laughs> very important. 
A few months ago, Distillery announced their anthology book, The Devil's Cut, would be its first offering, and now we know that the anthology introduces the first eight digital titles. Company founder Chip Mosier laid out details and sounded a little nervous in his quote, With The Devil's Cut, a majority of the self-contained stories lay the foundation for the series to come. To be crystal clear, you guys, these eight stories found in The Devil's Cut are not previews, but the first appearances of new worlds from our founding creators and friends. Keep in mind. Yeah. So basically, please, please, please buy The Devil's Cut. (laughs) Distillery is the company that will be selling their back issues. We'll put that in quotes. Their digital back issues on a marketplace somehow. So we still don't know. Oh, well, they'll only be available for a week. Is that right? Something and along those lines. then you'll have to buy them from the back issue marketplace, yes. which is also controlled by distillery. And they still have not given us information on how that's going Every to work. Every time we talk about this, I, it reminds me of the World of Warcraft auction house where it's just like yeah. thunder, Thunderdome with people setting obscene prices for things. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, we'll see. Joe, are there any of these comics that you see listed that grab your attention? There's some creators here. James Tinian, Mark Bernadette. Uh, well, right now I'm on a high with James Tinian because I, I just binged Something is Killing the Children. And, and I also love Christian Ward. So Spectre Graph uh, sounds pretty great. Deleted Scene by Brian. Oh, pardon me. It's Deleted Scene number two is, in the, is the title. But it's Brian Azzarello and Eduardo Rizzo getting back yeah, together. Love it. That's your 100 um, Bullets I'll, crew. I'll, I am into that. I'll check out the uh, Scott Snyder, Francesco Francavia book. It's called White Boat. The Jocks got a book called The Stowaway, but there are also some that I have no interest in. Like Mirka Andolfo is not a creator that I'm into. uh, Mirka Andolfo, I believe, is the person that puts out those like the sex pig book, furry comic. Yeah, the sex pig book. (laughs) And um, look, I'm not taking anything away from it. It's very well drawn. I'm not an audience. It's very well produced. That's not my cup of meat. Yeah, it's not for me. Uh, Mark Bernardin is a writer from the earlier, earlier in the two thousands that I'm not really excited about. He's like best buds with Kevin Smith these days. They do a podcast. I yeah. I don't really, I'm not interested in that so much, but Elsa Chartier has a book coming out and I really like her work. So it, and the title is very long, eight rules to make it out in one piece, which is a clever title. Also very long. I think they got to give us some information on how this is going to work because I think the question is not, are there creators here that sound interesting? Yes. Do some of these books look kind of neat? Sure. What the hell are you guys going to do here? Because I'm not getting on some friggin' auction house to pay $20 for a digital copy of Spectrograph if I forget that it came out that week because it's not going to be a new comics it, list. It's re- it's really just going to be a lesson in uh, how many readers uh, choose to um, sail the high seas, pretty much, so to speak. Yeah, I, I'm curious. <laughs> I think this could absolutely blow up in their face on week one. They yeah. are really taking a gamble here. Time will tell, but like you said, we need to know more. Yeah. Before we close out the news, let's do some quick takes on some smaller stories. That's right. It's time for Ludicrous Speed News. Ludicrous Speed, go! In the wake of the highly successful Marvel documentary that gave Stan Lee all the credit for creating everything, the WB oh is giving us a history of DC Comics documentary. What do you think, Joe? Are you ready for Bob Kane to get swept back under the carpet where he belongs? Confused. I'm very confused. <laughs> I thought the trailer uh, so, looks great. 
It's yeah, it's called Super Powered: The History of DC. It's a three-episode uh, mini docu series coming in July, and the list of people that they are interviewing for this project is insane. Um, I I do wish that there were more comic book creators. But, yeah, but I mean, look, they got Tim Burton, Linda Carter, Henry Cavill, Melissa Benoist. Like they've got people from the the CW, the DCEU. You got James Gunn. Uh, they've even they've even got um, old interviews with Christopher Reeve. But like Mark Wade is here, Jim Lee is here, and so. I'm Bruce way Tim. more interested in the comic book stuff. To be I, like, I want to know about the history of the comic book yeah. DC stuff, and I understand though. Like, this is a this is a Max show, it's, so it's going to play heavily on on the adaptations, and sure. that's fine, whatever. I think it sounds fun. The trailer is great. I'm very excited. Yeah. During his Insidious Five press tour, Jason Bloom has continued to make threats about a live-action Spawn film reboot. Yeah, that's right. It's coming. He's saying 2025. He thinks. He's he's playing... He's hedged his bets really well because he's announcing this during a writer's strike and saying, I think 2025. Look, I'm going to call my shot here. And I'm willing to make a nerd bet. We are not getting a Spawn movie. No, I'm not taking Calling that. my shot. We are not getting a Spawn yeah. movie. And the, I will not be surprised if the Spawn movie never happened. Before they were saying Jamie Foxx is really interested. Well, Jamie Foxx has now had like some major medical things going on and we don't know what his future is. I don't think this movie gets made. Also, I mean, no on. offense to Jamie Foxx, he's old. Yeah, he's too old like, to be Spawn, you know? I mean, I get it. Like, Spawn's face looks like hamburger meat, you know, so whatever. You sure. don't actually have to have Jamie Foxx. He could just voice costume. a full CG Spawn, I guess. But, but, uh, yeah, no. I just, just, no. Don't I don't care. care. I don't care if it gets made or not. Yeah. I don't care. Don't care, and I bet it doesn't happen. Joe Patrick, the news is out. Skybound has revealed their full lineup of Autobots featured in Transformers number one. We're also, oh, pardon me, Autobots and Decepticon lineup. Yeah, both. For DWJ's Transformers, Daniel Warren Johnson on the friggin' Transformers. How do we feel? <laughs> Very excited. Uh, I think it's kind of funny that they expect us to believe that it's really only going to be these five Autobots. Yeah, no, I mean, of course, of course. Yeah. Um, but, like, whatever. It's it's fun and cool. And it, they're, they're, are you going to list the characters or do you want me to go into Go it? ahead, list the characters, yeah. So we've got Optimus Prime. Wheeljack, who I love. I do too. RC, who is, you know, she's a girl. Whatever. RC. <laughs> I mean, she's in the Beast Wars movie, so what? Yeah. Like, I get it. RC. Um, she's a girl. <laughs> Ratchet, the the doctor, the the medical uh, uh, the medical officer or whatever, and uh, a swerve because the silhouette definitely made us all believe it was going to be Bumblebee, but it is Cliff Jumper. Yeah. And so, yeah, that is an eclectic assortment of Autobots. But I think it's, I think what they're doing there is showing us like, hey, we're all in. If you liked IDW Transformers, where you got stories about Cliffjumper, you got stories about like these deeper cut Transformers, don't worry. We are all in on it. And I'm also so glad it's just like, man, I know that, I know that younger people than me were raised on different versions of the Transformers, but. They were the wrong version. <laughs> nobody care. Nobody really cares long term about anything but the generation one original yes. classic, like versions of these characters. One hundred, and that's and what they, made it so great at IDW. That's what they. They don't have on. the like. I don't care about slavish devotion to like any continuities. But yeah, give me. I want them to look like the characters that I know. 
I don't ever once want to see Optimus Prime's mouth. I no, like just no, no, you know. No. So yeah, I think this is great. On the Decepticon side, we've got a Starscream, a Skywarp, Soundwave. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but then it's also uh, Rumble and Laserbeak. Yeah. So it's two cassettes, uh, and it's also Soundwave still looking like a tape deck. Totally rad. And you uh, know what this is? Let's not take away from the fact that Daniel Warren friggin' Johnson is doing this. And if you are not following his Instagram right now, he is leaking so much Transformers art that looks so goddamn cool. I can't stand yeah. it. <laughs> so excited. The Decepticon, the Decepticon side is interesting to me because it's a it's a big curveball that there's no Megatron. Oh, there will and be. And it's also very strange that there are two jets that's skywarp and starscream instead of starscream and any other decepticon right uh, i mean there will um, be i think there no i mean i know that there will be more decepticons i just think it like what is the story that is kicking off with this particular assortment of characters right that's interesting to me i think we might be and, looking uh, too far I'm into super it there as well i don't know that there's a story that's kicking off based on these characters i think this is just promo art and they're saying look we're going deep we're going deep get ready for it I don't know, man. I like. I think that they've come out and said that these are the team lineups for the initial, like at the very least for the first issue. So I think that could be the first story arc in Transformers is going to be primarily about these characters. And so, why is that? What does that mean? What's everybody else up to? Like these are the questions that I think are very compelling. Well, and I can't wait for that book. I'm so excited. Here's what. Here's Skybound. What they said about the preview of the first issue. Optimus Prime was supposed to have led the Autobots to victory. Instead, the fate of Cybertron is unknown, and his allies have crash-landed far from home alongside their enemies, the Decepticons. As these titanic forces renew their war on Earth, one thing is immediately clear. The planet will never be the same. New alliances are struck, battle lines are drawn, and humanity's only hope for survival is Optimus Prime. So, yeah, a small group of like, Autobots. So, like, maybe these are the first ones to wake up. I think that's kind of compelling, yeah. where it's like they're stuck with the characters that they have right now, and that's kind of cool. So... That's your Nerd News Recap for the week. There's always more to discuss. Hit us up in our gang hangs on Saturday mornings from 11 to noon. We got a Nerd News channel where you can discuss this episode or any Nerd News you would like. We even got a Nerd News TV and Movies channel for all the movie talk that we do. But there's something more important we do in our Discord. Joe Patrick, can you remind me what it was? I'm having a little trouble at this moment. Uh, I believe, Matt, you might be thinking of the question of the week. That's it. There it is. We have a new question of the week for you to ponder. Now that we have our Clark and our Lois, we want you to give us your dream casting picks for Superman's supporting cast. We're talking Jimmy, Perry, Lex, Mon Pa Kent, etc. Steve Lombard. If you've got a great Steve Lombard, (laughs) give him to me. Get out of here. The only rule is that these are people that could reasonably be cast in James Gunn's DCU. So they have to be living actors that could still reasonably be cast in film and television projects. It's okay if they haven't been in anything for a while, but you can't be like, yeah, I think Lawrence Olivier. Should play sure, sure, like, sure. You know what I mean? Let's fan cast some Superman stuff. We will talk about yeah. it next week in the gang hang. THN is going to take a quick summer break. We will be back the week of the 17th of July. So, Stick around, have fun, join our Discord in the meantime. Joe's going to be host of Gang Hangs. It'll be fun, but until next time, true believers. My name is Matt Baum. And I'm the internet's Joe Patrick. And this is a two-headed nerd signing off for summer vacation. 